Thank you, thank you, thank you. You're far too kind for tuning in to a little thing we like to call the On Blast Podcast. As always, my name is Sheldon Alexander, and I'm joined by my guy, Andrew Webster. Webby, what is good? Oh, man. Well, just the same old thing, man. Just uh, (laughs) hanging out, watching the Jordan documentary, and trying not to go crazy. But what a couple episodes we had. It was uh, it was it was kind of funny. I felt like uh, the first time I watched it, I was like, "Oh wow!" The second time I watched it, it's, it's like almost you know in a really good series of TV, a good season. You know, you're gonna have the big banger episodes, but every once in a while, you're gonna have like a little setup episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, this, especially the second episode of the two that aired, definitely okay. seemed a little to me like a setup episode for the two that are are coming next week. I like I've been saying this from the get-go I've been super excited about this whole thing and it's surpassed my expectations each and every week and I know even though people thought episodes uh three and four were just okay like people that have seen the whole thing right right I still thought those episodes were really good and everyone said this week this past week episodes uh what was it five Five and six. six Yeah. Five and six were were pretty good. Like this was where the the shit really starts to get cooking, you know. Yeah, I agree, and I thought it was really really good. But overall, I'm still so locked in and entertained. And I've oh. been wondering, do you think it's it's heightened because we just don't have anything else to watch, or is it actually that good? Because I feel like there's been two sides to how people have been watching this doc. I feel like I'm seeing a lot of people who are like, yeah, it's okay. But then the flip side of that is, oh, my God, give me everything because there's nothing else that I have to watch right now. <laughs> right. I think it is a bit of both. I think that it being a 10-episode documentary uh, about one of the greatest athletes that the world has ever seen is definitely putting it up there. And then you add on to it that there's no live sporting events. But I think that for people like you and me around our same age group, like maybe – 35 and older Mm -hmm. who actually experienced what it was like. And I mean, you and I are pretty unique in that we were such a perfect, and that's what I kept thinking about with these two in particular is that we were in such a perfect age for the, for this story with Mike, especially around, you know, you're talking like 91, 92, 93, like this was formative sports watching years for us. And I think that that is definitely what helps it for uh, people of our generation, you know? Totally. Like I remember, you know, as I was watching and they, they obviously do a good job of going back and forth to like the first three P. And I remember thinking, okay, I vaguely remember the Lakers series, but I really start to remember the Portland series. Definitely remember the, yeah, definitely remember the Olympics and definitely remember the Barkley series, right? Like that series. And I, I, you know, was thinking back to, okay, yeah, I remember obviously being so engulfed by MJ and loving MJ, loving the Bulls, you know, and just that's all sports was at that time, right? Like, it was all about MJ, and you think back to you know me growing up in Toronto. At the same time, you have the Jays winning the World Series. Mm-hmm. The Leafs are really, really good, and then there's this other thing going on where MJ is obviously like the man and the greatest, you know, athlete going. And it's just so such an incredible time to think about to think back to. And the thing that I think this doc has done a good job of is summing up the moment in time. 
and every time they go back to a certain point and they're playing a montage, music pops on and it instantly takes you back to that place. And so when this episode starts, episode uh, five starts, and the first thing you see are the shots of downtown New York and you're hearing the Lauren Hill <laughs> vocals on If I Ruled the World by Nas. It just automatically takes you back to that moment in time and you're thinking like, oh man, that was a great job to encapsulate New York City, but also that time, that period of time, right? And it just such it just works perfectly. MJ, Kobe, uh, MSG for the All-Star game. It's like, yes, I remember yeah. this. Like this was a thing. This was a moment. And I thought it was so dope. And I really think at this level, this episode, they really took the music to another level. And I yeah. wonder if that's just because the, previous episodes obviously you're rushing to get done right do you know do you know what i'm saying like there are still For music sure. cues in the others but not like this episode no well especially the last two like i've i watched the leaks uh, originally and when i was watching them um especially i think it was like episode three i thought the music was incomplete because there was a great montage of jordan in the you know like 86 or no it would have been the uh, going against the Pistons, so 89-90. Okay. And he's winning the MVP, he's winning the dunk contest, he's winning the All-Star Game MVP, he's winning a scoring title. And there's a great montage of him just, like, throwing down dunks, doing, like, great, like, mid-career Jordan buckets. And the music was just really generic. And so I was oh. just like, I was like, oh, I must have gotten a real, this leak must have been really early that they didn't yeah. fill in the music. And I was like, I wonder if it's going to be like that. But I remember when I started this episode up and I heard the Nas and I was like, oh, okay, no. I, I didn't get a, a like an early release of this. They just didn't have music for that time, which I thought was weird. But I think I honestly think it's a process of them putting the episodes together and like because like to clear music, people don't realize. It's tough. No, it's yeah. super tough. We used to just steal it at the score. <laughs> how many? How many features? Yeah. How many features were done with like unlicensed Yo. music? Yo. Not to put anybody even... on blast, <laughs> but. Speaking of odd blast, um, yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna carefully uh, skirt away from that. <laughs> I mean, I don't even know what you're talking about, Webby. Uh, yeah, exactly. Listen, <laughs> Kanye West, if you're listening to this, do not do not bring us to court. Oh, man. They, luckily, they won't even know what the SCORE television network is, and the SCORE television <laughs> network doesn't exist. So, I mean, I'm sure the statute of limitations is up anyways, because it was, like, so long ago. But you're totally right. But for something like this, how it's supposed to be done, yo... The way that all this music, like to clear music, sometimes takes months and months. And I'm sure mm -hmm. it can be expedited because of the current situation we're in, because it's Michael Jordan, right? But so, like, most people are going to just say yeah. yes to being in it. But there are only, I'm looking at this list right now online. And for episode two, the licensed music I only see in episode two is I'm Bad, LL Cool J. Episode three, they have Party Man by Prince and The Maestro by Beastie Boys in episode three, right? Yeah, episode yeah, four, yeah. Episode four, you're getting three songs. You got Still Not a Player, Big Pun, uh, yeah. I Feel Free by Cream, and How You Like Me Now, Kumol D. But all of a sudden, when you get to episode five, this is what I'm talking about. You have what? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven songs. Yeah. 
Do you know what I mean? And I really think it's just a matter of, okay, well, they probably had more time to work on this episode, right? Instead of trying to, like, speed up and get episodes done just to get them to air. Because that right. process of, you know, you're trying to put something together for June, and then all of a sudden that's moved up to, what, April? <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> you're like, oh, shit, we got to get cooking. And I just thought the music choices, again, to start with, you know, if I rule the world and it's just Mike ruling the world at MSG for the All-Star game and how that how much that song represents that moment in time. But then go on to net the next one where they're talking about the shoe deals. And of course, we're going to go and talk about these things in depth. But talking about the shoe deals and it's Tribe Called Quest, Can I Kick It? Like, come on. Like, that's just that's just storytelling right well the the other one that i wanted to ask you was and, and i we're definitely going to get to it but if you're nas do you say yeah 100 percent, you can use if i ruled the world but you have to put me in this documentary hey i mad at him if, if that's what his agent <laughs> did I'm, that's a dope move because like either, man. people were looking to do Yo, people were looking side eye at Timberlake too right like yo what's timberlake doing in this and it's like timberlake has some like bootleg deal with jordan Right, he well, has hundred like percent. Like he's probably yeah, he's probably sponsored by Jordan Brand, yeah. which is again a smart thing that his agent like probably foresaw. Like, of course, yeah. like listen, if I ever get famous for something, it's like I'm trying to get my unborn daughter sponsored <laughs> by Jordan immediately. Right. For sure. And then Timberlake, oh, yeah, just put me in talking about how great it was to try to go buy Jays when I was a kid. Yeah. Of course, it's easy. Such a good look to make him look good, look cool, right? Look like, man, he's big time enough he got in this doc. So, well, that, it it's cool. so funny, and it, and it works so well with that part of the documentary about the shoes, too, and like sure. what, it, what it meant for Jordan and where, where it took Nike from where they were. But again, I'm sure we're going to get into that. So let's, let's start here, you know, like in our deep dive gotta, of episodes five gotta, and six. It's such um, a great place to start, though. It was like that. W I thought that was probably one of the coolest things yet that we've seen. Was oh, yeah. was the be was the beginning of the fifth episode, for sure. Because not only do you have this great song setting up the scene, but you're also setting up the moment in time of a young Kobe coming into his own, trying to you know he's not trying to take the throne from Mike because he's way too young. Or what did Mike call him? That, that young Laker, that little, boy? little Laker boy. That little Laker boy. He wouldn't Laker even say Kobe. He wouldn't even say it. So here, here's the thing, right? What did you learn about? Cause we've heard a lot about Mike and Kobe's relationship and obviously seeing uh, Mike at Kobe's funeral recently, that was tough to, to see, yeah. but we got kind of an insight into their relationship. But what was it like for you or what did you learn about the relationship seeing Kobe in this doc, right? Talking about, you know, how how he tried to get everything from Mike that he could and tried to get his advice, right? Like how cool was that for you to see, you know, I don't know if cool is even the right word, but like what were you no, feeling when you saw Kobe talking about Mike? Obviously in this moment where, you know, we're sitting here in 2020 and how fucked up this year's been and one of the things is Kobe's gone. Well, uh, first and foremost, it was sad, right? Yeah. Because, I mean, this was a guy whose life was taken away uh, far too young, uh, not to mention the lives of his, uh, of his daughter and the other people that were on the helicopter. But the thing that really uh, I thought was, was really interesting and cool about the beginning of this wasn't necessarily about their relationship because we had 
heard and read stories that, you know, they would always ask MJ about Kobe and Kobe about MJ. So we knew that they knew each other, but it was actually seeing uh, those guys, especially the old heads. That was the coolest thing. Just the old heads in the, in the locker room talking about the young players, because that point, you got to understand that 98 point is such a, like uh, a, a, you know, a weird time in the NBA in terms of that's a handover time mm-hmm. because now Iverson, Kobe, Vince, these uh, Tim Duncan, these guys are really start KG. These guys are starting to become the faces of the league and guys like Jordan and Grant Hill and Reggie Miller. They're kind of on the way out, you know, and to have the real face of the league, the face of what basketball was for the previous 15, 20 years, referring to Kobe's game and how, you know, these old guys, they've got their eyes open uh, for these young kids. They know that they're on the come up. They know how good they are. I love Mike kind of breaking down the game. Like, yeah, he's he's going to shoot four times and miss them, but he's going to take that fifth shot and make it. But if he was on my team and he missed four shots, I'm not passing him the ball anymore. <laughs> like that that was great. Just that kind of it, it really seemed uh, to use a terrible cliche. You know, uh, the old guys in the barber shop kind of sitting around talking about the young players, but yeah. here they are, like all perennial all stars and the best at their position in the NBA, but knowing that their time has a clock on it and these new kids are coming in. Yeah, it was super cool. And and it's something that you teased a couple of weeks ago and talking about, you know, how much more of that behind the scenes footage would become uh, so yeah. much of the storytelling. Right. And this was really great insight into that Webby because it was, you know, we don't really see Mike unfiltered like that. We never would have seen that video then. Right. Like, cause he's not, He's not smiling, Mike. Like, you could tell that's real and raw MJ, I, you know, just shooting shit with the boys. The and other that thing was is, really too, cool. I love that real MJ, that, like, country MJ that comes out. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Like, when he's really talking to his friends, it's yeah. not, I'm on, the, I'm on Oprah MJ. It's not, I'm talking to the media MJ. It's like... Yeah. It's like the real North Carolina. This is how it was raised. This is how we really talk. And it's you're right. It's these behind the scenes footage that you really get to know him. And unlike what I thought this documentary was going to do, which was paint him in an unlikable light, mm-hmm. I I like Jordan more knowing who he really is for sure. And I think that that's the part that maybe he might not have even known. Because, you know, although the the quote got overblown of him saying that he thought he, uh, people were going to think he was an asshole, which isn't really what he said. Like, I saw the director talking about that. And the mm-hmm. director kind of said he was paraphrasing something that Mike was, he thought Mike was feeling. And then everyone just kind of ran with that quote as if Mike said it. <laughs> right? But anyways, the point I'm trying to make is I don't think that he probably realized how much we would appreciate just seeing the human side of Mike, whether he's an asshole or not, you already respect the greatness. So however you got to be that great, people are going to put some respect on that regardless. You know what I mean? So it's not so much that, oh my God, this guy's a jerk, but it's like, oh, this is why he was so good. Like he gave a fuck. (laughs) You know what I mean? And it's like in this time and age that we're living in where access 
to athletes and the people that we consider our heroes is so readily available. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's weird to think that he or the director wouldn't think that this kind of access would make people like him more because it's what we crave now as a society. We want to know what you're like behind the scenes. We want to know why stars are just like us. Mm -hmm. And so I think that all of this behind the scenes footage is really positive for MJ's legacy. Yeah. It's totally just a thing where you're seeing where that confidence comes from in terms of, you know, why he would watch that video and be like, yeah, yeah, of course, leave that in because that's authentic to him. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, cause I think people were worried about, okay, well, if he's carving Kobe or if he's carving whoever, he might want to take that out. But instead I see MJ now as we kind of, I know this sounds weird, but I feel like we know him a bit more now, if that makes sense. And as you get to know him, or at least a persona he's giving off in this doc from his interviews now, he's a guy who who very much was like unapologetic about who he was. And so he could look back on those clips and justify his comments or justify his behavior. Like I loved hearing him talk about how he knew Kobe was going to try to go at him and he was ready for it. Like, that's amazing. Yeah. That's incredible. He's that confident to know, yeah, this young kid's going to try to cook me, but I got to get him back on the other end. And I thought that was so dope. And the other thing that I think was super incredible that, and you mentioned how sad it was to see Kobe. This was a part that kind of got me, man, watching it because Kobe says, you know, he hates that conversation about who would win one-on-one between him and Mike, because he says, you know, everything that you see from me, I got from him. And I just thought, man, like, that's where Kobe was in this moment post-retirement, yeah. right? He seemed so content with his his place in the game and his place, his career, right? He seemed so, like, I don't know if content's the right word, but happy with what he accomplished and what he achieved and his place in history with the five rings. And, you know, he did, he might not be better than Mike, but... You know, like he almost got there or he was in the conversation and that's all he ever really wanted or he all all he ever wanted was Mike's respect. And he got that, you know, and it was so it was just a reminder of seeing that clip like, man, that was a dude that finally seemed at peace with where he was as a basketball player. Yeah, no. And that only came in retirement. And that was a little sad to see that. Oh, man. And now he's not here. That was kind of tough. You're absolutely right. I mean, and he had done tons to reform his image because Kobe really took that oh if Mike was an asshole I have to be an asshole too to reach that kind of greatness he really took that to heart and it seemed like since he had retired or since maybe the year his last year was really uh, spent kind of uh, going back on that and and treating everybody a, a lot better and expanding his role beyond being just the mean dude on the Lakers, right? In terms of sure. making a movie and getting involved in women's sports and his daughter's, uh, his daughter's life and his family's life. Um, and you're right, just to see all that kind of what was a great legacy now taken away at such a young age is tragic, right? But the, you're right, that line of what was it, uh, what you got from me, I get from him, yeah. that like says it all, right? Just gives you chills even saying it. Yeah, totally. And it was it was good because it was well done. And I know they dedicated that first episode to Kobe and it wasn't overdone. 
Do you know what I mean? Right. Like there's there's yeah. a line of where, you know, they might have tried to do a little too much with Kobe just because of what happened. But I thought they did a really good job of, you know, summing up the moment and what was going on and getting Mike's take on it, getting Kobe's take on, you know, and what he, he the moment meant to him as well. And it didn't come out of nowhere. It was still within the frame story of exactly. how we're doing this documentary. So, yeah, it wasn't shoehorned in there or anything. It was great. Totally. And so one of the questions I had here, Mike wins MVP of the All-Star Game, right? And then you get the story about just how much he loved playing at MSG and yeah, even the, yeah. the story of him and rocking the Jordan 1s for his last game at MSG. I thought that was pretty cool, but... His feet bleeding and stuff. <laughs> That's awesome, right? And just like, loving... Listen, the... I, have, I have a pair of J1s that I, like, I got last year and I absolutely yeah. love them and I wear them super loose, but I couldn't... You, I could not play basketball in them. Yes. Yeah, Those are not. uncomfortable shoes, for sure. <laughs> They're so uncomfortable. And I couldn't imagine, you know, giving the Knicks 50 or whatever he did in that last game, <laughs> right? In those shoes that I'm pretty sure someone said were like a size too small. <laughs> right. Just, it's incredible. Oh incredible to think about. But it made, it made me ask the question, so in 1998, MJ decides to retire. We know that. But mm -hmm. could he have kept playing? Do you know what I mean? And I mean, would he, sorry, let me rephrase that. Could he have kept playing at such a high level? Because like, no, no, like you don't I, think so. I, he could have got buckets, like for sure, like no problem. I mean, even when he came back to the Wizards, he was getting like twenty a game. But mm -hmm. to keep playing at the level that he played would have been, it, it would have been a decline, however slow, but it would have been a decline, and it it wouldn't have been something that really we wanted to see. Like, yeah. did did you? It's almost better that he went out the way that he went out, right? Because that really cemented his legacy. It's no longer watching this guy but, uh, until he came back with the Wizards, of course. But you you never wanted to see that. You never wanted to see Jordan getting old because the the legend of of who he was and was that he went out on top. Like the last shot that he hit was the was the push off jumper against the Jazz. And it, it's cool too because it's kind of the reminder of the story that how they kind of wrap up these two episodes in terms of, okay, maybe physically he could have gotten it done, but mentally my guy was worn down at the end of that season. Right. Well, maybe that is, was a bigger thing. And he wasn't going to play for the bulls. Well, so yeah. where, where does he shouts go? To, shouts to uh, Kraus, right? We'll, we'll get right, to him right. for sure. <laughs> but like I, at that time in the NBA, where does he go? Yeah, I mean, I guess the rumor was if he did come back, there was a story he could have went to the Knicks. That would have been someplace he would have wanted to. <laughs> that play. would have been. That would have been. So who was on the Knicks then? Was was that no? Because Camby would have still been in Toronto, right? Hey, I'm sure they would have figured out a way to get rid yeah. of. Him. <laughs> it's like Patrick Ewing. What? Yeah, get out of here, bro. <laughs> yeah. No. Jordan but, uh, and Allen Houston. Yeah, I mean, they would have figured something out for sure. Definitely. Oh, when now? When was the the one? The only part of the two episodes was it this one? What, what, what was it? One of these two episodes that Patrick Ewing comes in and he yeah, like in, Jordan starts. One, yeah. <laughs> that was also great. He was like, "Man, I'm not ready for this shit right now." That was too good. Yeah, I can only imagine how much crap Jordan gave Ewing. Well, Jordan was like, "Oh, we just bust your ass again." He's like, "Man, I enjoy playing here." And Ewing's like, "Really, man?" <laughs> it was pretty good. Um, there's awesome. a story I remember Jay Z telling in an interview about MJ telling him, 
he was describing the scene as it being like, you know, the mafioso type scene of people sitting in the back room of a restaurant, but they're really in the <laughs> yeah. kitchen. Yeah. I'm trying to remember what the interview was, but Jay was telling the story of being in one of those situations with, with Jordan and Jordan's just telling crazy stories. And he said, one of the stories was that in his last year, right? He almost ended up going to the Knicks because they weren't going to pay him the 30, whatever, right. 36 mil. Like Reinsdorf obviously was cheap and like never wanted to give him that much money in the first place. But MJ was like, no, this like th- that was a number. And so Reinsdorf was trying to like call his bluff. And Jordan said that he was like, oh, there's a point where he actually thought, okay, well, if they're not going to pay me, I'm just going to go pay play for the Knicks. Like he had already come to that conclusion to where he was thinking there's a chance they're not going to match this, so I'm going to play for the Knicks. And then, obviously, Reinsdorf, you know, <laughs> came to his senses and said, sure, Mike, whatever you want. And then the last dance occurred. But that's right. insane. I that's wish I could crazy. remember what interview that was, but it's definitely a Jay interview where he said he was back, he was somewhere with MJ in the back of some restaurant, and MJ was just telling crazy stories. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. So... Uh, we talked about the music and the, the great music cue of Can I Kick It. Like, I was, it just got me instantly hype. And we get into the of story course. of the backstory of the Nike deal. And f- we'll just start here. Can you imagine MJ actually signing wow. with Adidas? Like, that was one of the big revelations to come out of this, that MJ wanted to actually sign with Adidas and not Nike okay. at all. So I can't imagine him in Adidas at all. <laughs> My question for you is, had he signed with Adidas, would Adidas be cool? It's weird because Adidas for me, Adidas for me is whack. Like yeah. almost as whack as Reebok. Like you know, <laughs> but it's it's Jordan. Jordan is the reason why we think Nikes are the shit. Like that's and, just it. And I will say we are of a certain age to where we're not part of that like Yeezy culture and those like ultra boost nah. shits and all that, right? Like that's like the kids below us, right? So I don't yeah. really No, we're shell tops is what we're exactly. like when you when you say Adidas, I think like black or white shell tops. Yeah, Stan Shelto, Smith. The, the Stan Smiths, the Shell Toe Adidas for sure. Yeah. So it's super weird to think about and it's a great point you make and i think mj might have summed it up himself where he says you know i know that nike sold all this stuff and people think i was cool and whatever but he said if i don't win on the court and produce on the court none of these endorsements matter right like it doesn't matter it's because i was so good on the court and i thought you know obviously my guy's old now and you know gives him different perspective to hear him say that but I think that was kind of the truth. And you could be totally right. We could be thinking of, we all could be rocking shell toes. Like I have a, I have the Jordan threes in front of me here and maybe right. I'd have something else in front of me right now. Some Adidas shoes. Right. And it's so like, weird to think. It's like, yeah, Mike uh, knew that the, you know, it was his talent that got people to buy the shoes until the threes came out. And then it didn't matter. He could be averaging five a game. Those shoes are so sick that it wouldn't <laughs> matter. So you know? True. It's That's so it. true. All he needed to do was get to the threes, and it would have been fine. Um, it's so crazy now, to think, but it's so true. But also, just – sorry, what were you going to say? You were going to say something. I was, I was going to say that the really interesting clip when it came to this Nike deal was the agent, uh, David Falk. Yes. When he, was, when he said um, – that he wanted to represent Mike in the shoe game like a tennis player. Yes. 
And that is such a revolutionary kind of way of thinking about team sports mm-hmm. and basketball and uh, athlete culture that now has kind of evolved into where it is in 2020. But just that thought of, oh, it's a team game, but I'm going to treat my player and his sponsorships like he's playing in an individual sport. So a couple things here, right? Because there's going to be a lot of different points through it, throughout us reviewing this doc where I'm going to say, this is another example of why I hate the Jordan-LeBron comparisons. And this is another example, right? Because bef- because without Mike, there is no LeBron, right? 100%. So this whole thing about how the agent decided, okay, well, at the time, I was representing tennis players. I represented Arthur Ashe, and I looked at Arthur Ashe had his own rackets. So I looked at yeah. Michael Jordan, and at the time, in the NBA, it was only the weapons, and that was kind of a big deal. But he thought going to the upstart Nike was a way to get it done. And this is a part where we see this happening right now with Under Armour. And if you think of Steph Curry, you think of, was it Bryce Harper, Cam Newton? I think those, are, all Embiid. Under, those are Under Armour guys, right? Yeah, yeah. And you think about what the agent was saying then and saying most people were getting 100000 If you're, you know, the, and only top line athletes were getting these kind of deals to begin with. But... They were getting a hundred thousand to let's say do the weapons, and he wanted two fifty from Nike to get Mike. And I thought to have the balls to go in like that's the kind of negotiator you need to fully understand the value that Mike could bring to that brand. And I thought that was so incredible that he kind of had an idea that hey, this is a deal you need to sign if you're trying to get on the map. But the thing that's cool was nobody had any idea that Mike was going to be Mike. So Adidas just couldn't make it work, right? right? As they mentioned in the doc, like what they say, their front office was just in a, in shambles at the time. So they couldn't really sort it all out. And Nike didn't even really know what they were doing, but they decided to go with it. And I thought that was super interesting, but hold on. There's one other person we need to give a huge shout out to. Do you know who Who's I'm ta- talking about? MJ's moms, because remember oh, yeah. he didn't even want to take the meeting. And, you know, isn't that such a mom move? Like, listen, you told these people you would give them a meeting, so (laughs) get your ass over there. And I don't care if you say no, but sit there and listen to these people and just give them the benefit of the doubt. I was like, yeah, okay. So good. It's a real mom move for sure. Imagine that. Like, you you know how they played back the clip of MJ or MJ's mom reading the clip of him asking for 20 bucks when he was (laughs) in college? Yeah. Like, they should play back that clip whenever MJ, you know, whenever the Nike check comes in the mail, <laughs> right? It should also come with that <laughs> message from his mom being like, you know what? You should really take this Nike meeting. <laughs> you promised him you were going to show up. The least you can do is at least show up to the meeting and hear what they have to say. What? $4 billion later, <laughs> right? Here we are. Like, that's incredible. MJ's mom's a real MVP so far, no? Oh yeah, she's she's had a really good run so far for <laughs> sure. Now, uh, the, before we leave the the shoe conversation, we do, and you just brought it up. The Converse weapons, mm-hmm. the ad just fantastic with my guy Larry Bird dropping like not not a fresh sixteen, maybe a fresh <laughs> like four, but he you gotta love get the white guy in to finish off the rap. I mean, that was it. That hey, less it. is more, right? Less is more. Hundred percent, hundred percent, and like, and, and at that time, you listen. Larry's the guy, you know. Yeah. It, it's not Magic who gets that last line, right? It's it's Larry Bird. 
Larry Legend. I mean, it was really cool to see. And also, again, I love just this, the side stories we're getting from all these things, right? Like, because we know about Spike Lee and we know the effect that getting Spike Lee and, you know, having the shoes in movies and stuff did. Right. Like, we, we kind of know that story enough, but we didn't know the mom part. We didn't know the thought process from the agent. Like, or I, I'm probably, I don't want to speak for everybody, but I didn't know that, those stories. How about... How about this? Growing up, where I thought Spike Lee, his name was Mars Blackman. <laughs> no, fair I was enough. like, w- I was like, what? What do you mean? Who's Spike Lee? Like, why is Mars directing this? And then <laughs> it blew my mind. It blew my mind when I was a little kid. So good. Yeah, I thought it was really cool. And someone on Twitter brought up a great point about the lucky aspect of MJ going to the Bulls because at least you got dope colorways right away. Right, like black and red, red and black. Yeah, yeah, like so good right away. He Whereas, goes to the Atlanta Hawks or something, it's, or the it's Mavs or something, right? You're just like, <laughs> when it was oh. like green, green and blue, <laughs> right? We're we're looking at completely different shoes here. Um, but speaking of just branding, and again, a great job of how they tie this whole thing in was going to the Olympics, right? And you know, yeah, just telling us a moment in time again, summing up. Just at this point, the 92 team, people think that's the best Bulls team of the bunch, right? MJ's at the peak of his powers. We mm-hmm. get the whole story about MJ versus Clyde and MJ just hating Clyde for no other reason that people <laughs> tried to compare Clyde. Not even compare Clyde to Mike, but even insinuate that Clyde was on Mike's level. <laughs> right. And it was like, it's that whole thing that like even still persists today. It's like this whole East Coast bias. So when there's a guy who plays on the West Coast that maybe not everybody gets to see, it's like, you know, and it's just that kind of playing devil's advocate. It's like, yeah, listen, Jordan's the best, obviously, but I, I we don't give Clyde enough credit. I mean, he's playing out there in Portland. We don't get to see his games. Like, yeah. totally innocent. And then it gets to Mike, and it's just like, oh, no, I'm going to decapitate this guy <laughs> in the finals. Well, the other part is having Magic doing play-by or doing color commentary. Oh, yeah. So Magic is just giving all these inside stories from the fact that he was, like, up late gambling with Mike the night before, and he has <laughs> all this, like, cards. insight. <laughs> he's like he's already telling people he's like oh mike's ready to kill clyde and it's just like whoa <laughs> I, I just picture magic being so giddy like he can't wait to like give all this inside info it's like this is what d wade's blueprint should be now with lebron right like we should mm-hmm. get d wade calling games with mike breen i know it's different companies but the point is yeah. you have d wade because you know he's talking to lebron every night no, and I'm not saying they're up gambling. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just talking drinking about their wine. relationship. They're up, they're up late drinking wine. Yes, exactly. Right? It just seems so funny to think about that moment in time of Magic being able to to be like, oh, yeah, Mike told me yesterday that he's ready to get Clyde. And then my guy comes out 5-3. a legendary game. We know the shrug oh, already, of right? 35 in the half. Mike hitting five threes in the first half. And, you know, the series wasn't even that close. Bulls win in six. And again, it's we get closer, it. Still, again, it's closer than a lot of people think, though. That's fair. I mean, the, the Blazers had a good team. Yes. Like, and Clyde still got numbers in that series and throughout those playoffs. Yeah. But, but I mean, it was, you say, was this the best team? I, I, I'm not sure if it was better than, you know, the, like the 96 team, obviously, like, had the win record. Or was it the 96? Uh, it's 96, 97. 
97 had the yeah they had the record but for, for again for you and me and we're going to talk about this with the Olympics this is the most important season because I'm eight years old I'm getting into sports I've heard that Michael Jordan is the greatest he's coming off a championship so I'm fully invested you know I'm yeah. I'm watching these games and I'm just like. Again, I know where I was for the five threes and the half. I, I my mind was blown. I'm jumping around my living room <laughs> with my dad. Like it was uh, it was unbelievable. I had the basketball cards. I I had the poster in my room. You know, I I had Jordans on my feet. Like the I, if they weren't the best, they certainly were to me and somebody who is now you know about to turn 36. This was the team. Was the 92 team, and then that transition into the Olympics too. So the, it, we, the the one thing I was going to say, though, it seems like you and everybody else at the time were feeling that way about MJ, especially in the Bulls. But your man's Krause was already here preaching the organization from then, right? Yeah. They went back to back, and he's like, you know, this is a testament to the organization. The organization really right. doing a good job. And it's just yep. like man, this dude was really on that. And I know Yo, I, that he's not hes not getting a chance to defend himself, but yeah. there's a lot of evidence of my guy really trying to push this organization narrative when really MJ is out here cooking. I wasn't sticking my tongue out shooting jump shots on my driveway because of the Bulls organization. You know what I mean? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> like, it's that true. was not the Bulls organization. It was Michael Jordan. And then, like, with the Olympics, man, it's like... It, it, it was like if your favorite band or whatever went back in the day, or your favorite rapper, like that only you listen to him, and then on Conan O'Brien or whatever, they're like, and musical guest, your favorite, MF Doom, your favorite rapper. It's like, oh my God, my guy has now reached the pinnacle. Now the whole world is going to see how good my dude yeah. is, you yeah. know? Uh, just last thing on Krauso, MJ dissing him. And, and <laughs> asking if he can get a cigar, and Mike's like, "Nah, it'll stunt your growth." Yeah, <laughs> it's like, you just a can't, go, can't <laughs> just, go wrong with the short jokes, you know? Right? It's just too easy for Mike. But yeah, you mentioned the Olympics, and obviously, you know, the big talking point surrounding the Olympics, as it links to uh, last episode and Mike's relationship <laughs> with Isaiah Thomas, or maybe lack thereof. I'm going to ask this question here, right? Because we get a we get the story here from Mike mm -hmm. and Isaiah's side of it. Um, and Isaiah had the numbers, right? Mike said he had nothing to do with Isaiah not being on the team. But I'm going to ask you, Andrew Webster. Should Isaiah Thomas have been on the Dream Team? Um, I don't think it would have made a difference. I still think they would have won gold. I still think they would have dominated. But uh, no. Uh, I don't think he should have been because the people who most of the people who were on the team didn't want him there. <laughs> exactly. I, agree. I mean, at some point you've got to read the room, okay? Yeah. And like, if you're going by statistical numbers, listen, absolutely. And Isaiah Thomas is one of the best basketball players to ever play the game. Not taking that away from him. Not taking away the two championships, the heart of a champion that he has, the absolute intensity on the court, the philanthropical work he's done off of it. I'm sure he's a great dude. I'm sure he's a great man. But at that time, no, because it would have been a problem. It would have been people may have dropped out. People may not have, you know, been so chummy, chummy. Like it, the same atmosphere around that 92 Dream Team wouldn't have been what it is now today if Isaiah Thomas would have been there. 
well, the the line by Mike where he's trying to explain that he had nothing to do with it. He's like, they called me and told me about the Olympics, and I just asked, so who's going to be there? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, Mike Meaning, is, treating, is Isaiah going to be there? Well, Mike's treating the freaking dream team and going to play for Team USA as if, like, the off-the-cuff, like, Sunday afternoon barbecue at, like, your girlfriend's friend's house or something, right? Where it's like, yeah, do you want to come with me there? It's like, well, who's going to be there? <laughs> it's like, what? Now, but that's other, MJ, right? The other really awesome thing that the – and we're going to get into the coolest thing – I think so far of the documentary, but Mm -hmm. what I love about this behind the scenes footage, especially with the Olympics is that you see that MJ is like a student of the game Mm -hmm. and has respect uh, for who came before him. And this is kind of like a a theme, similar theme throughout is knowing about magic and Larry. Yes. And how his whole thing was to get first to get on their level and then to pass him. Mm And to connect it with how the episode started with Kobe and MJ's thoughts about Kobe, it's so cool to see that behind-the-scenes footage of Michael kind of almost like following around Magic and Larry. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And kind of kind of getting a little salty, when, and we're going to get into the saltiness too, but when Magic is like, ooh, this is the closest I've gotten to Michael without getting called for a foul. <laughs> and so he's like, good. oh, man. Yeah, and it's just like to see – MJ, the big brother to Kobe, then be the little brother to Magic and Larry was very a cool kind of just juxtaposition of this episode. For sure. And, you know, I think there's there's a there's a bit of back and forth on both sides in terms of Mike trying to get their respect and just going out and taking their respect, but also paying homage and having that reciprocated in terms of obviously Larry and Magic they always they were giving knew. praise to Mad- to Mike as well, whereas that yeah, didn't really knew. happen with Isaiah, right? And exactly, I think that was part of the problem as well. And I, I I know I asked you, you know, should Zeke have been on the dream team? And I totally agree with you. I don't think he should have been either, because at the end of the day, if whatever MJ Magic and Larry say, that's what goes. And the reality 100%. of the situation, which they don't really touch on in the doc for obvious reasons. But there's a lot of other things that were going on at this time that really give more insight into the notion of why Isaiah wasn't going to be there. Because do I think Mike wanted him there? No. But I also think Mike wasn't the only one because there's other things going on. You got to remember, after the the magic HIV stuff came out, him and Isaiah were not close after that because Mike or magic was kind of upset about he thought Isaiah did some interviews where he was kind of insinuating that, that maybe magic, magic shouldn't play right well that magic shouldn't play but also that magic was homosexual right like that's a thing that was going on at the time and you got to think about it I know it's 2020 and we think about these things in totally different lights now but think of that in 1991 and just like what the world was ready for then and the conversations people were having you know as much as trump tries to take us backwards we still Mm -hmm. can't really imagine what it was in that time to be talking about hiv and aids and and uh homosexuality and all that stuff right like it's just a completely different world and so and regardless of all that magic didn't really appreciate isaiah you know giving those comments right or kind of insinuating those things and it was kind of like background chatter 
But yeah. so there's and a beef on, between Magic and, and and Isaiah, and then there's Larry and Isaiah. That I was just going to bring this up. Yeah, they exactly. didn't talk about that on the dock, right? It wasn't Isaiah who said it, but it was Isaiah who agreed with Dennis Rodman when he said it. Exactly. So for people who might not remember, because I don't think they right. talked about it on the dock, right? They they didn't talk about it in the dock. Okay, no. so it's it's a story that's been out there, and they went into it more so. I guess I think it was on the Bad Boys dock. And, and the Magic and Larry Doc, the Magic yes. and Larry Doc from a couple of years ago too, for sure. And there's a storyline where Dennis Rodman, after a loss to the Celtics, Dennis Rodman in a post game interview said that Larry Bird's okay, but if Larry Bird was black, I'm paraphrasing, but he essentially said if Larry Bird was black, he'd just be another player in the league. And yeah. so the media then went to Isaiah, said, "Hey, this is what Dennis said," and Isaiah kind of laughed and then said that he agreed. And this is another one of those things where if that something like that happened in this era, like we can't oh even fathom like how big of a story <laughs> that became. Right. Right, like, right. They had to do a press conference in the middle of the NBA finals with Larry Bird and Isaiah Thomas to have Isaiah kind of apologize. Then during the finals, they flew him out for like game one so we could be on the broadcast to again talk. Like this became such a huge, huge deal. Yeah. And people were so mad at the fact that Isaiah would even bring something like that up. And first off, let's just say that is obviously a ridiculous statement. Larry Legend is a G, right? And yeah. no matter what color Larry Bird is, that dude puts in work. So first off, the comments are completely ridiculous. But, the fact that Isaiah would say that obviously became such a crazy storyline as well. And so now you've pissed off Mike, you've pissed off Magic and Larry and, and the your league. chances of and your chances of making the dream team at that point are not very good. Yeah. Doesn't matter so, how great you are. Yeah, you can give me your sob stories about, you know, you're better than John Stockton and cool. Merry Christmas to you. But like yeah. let's be honest, get out of here, right? And I love the most, we've touched on this a bit, but Mike's Mike's ability to try to hold back, <laughs> but still and throw being shade. unable to do so, yeah. So they ask him about Isaiah, and Mike says, quote, I respect Isaiah Thomas's talent. To me, the best PG of all time is Magic Johnson, and right behind him is Isaiah Thomas. No matter how much I hate him, I respect his game. Close quote. Like, not how much I hated him, but no matter how much I hate him. Close quote. Like, that is incredible. And so, no, Isaiah, you're not making the team, nor do you deserve to be on the team, if that's how Mike, peak power MJ, feels about you. Right? Exactly. And meaning that Isaiah did not get to participate in probably what was the most uh, competitive game during this whole Olympic period. It wasn't the dream team against another country or anything. It was the dream team against itself. So good. And if Isaiah's there, I feel like it comes to blows. A hundred percent. It almost <laughs> did anyway. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And the trash talking, it was cool to see that footage and have them subtitled oh. it so you could like see M or magic. You could tell was so salty about the foul calls on, oh. on Mike. Like it was so dope. And magic's yelling, this so ain't Chicago good. stadium. This ain't Chicago stadium. What kind of call I is mean, that? And he like whips the ball into the stands. Like that was incredible to see. 
I mean, so if you cool. gave me the choice of like, you know, teleporting into a game situation that, you know, of, of my choice, it would be to attend those scrimmages. Yeah. Just from everything that I've read and now seen about these games, they are, I mean, they were incredible. And it's like not just an all, and it's not like an all-star game where guys are not playing D. It's like, no, no, no. Charles Barkley, Magic Johnson, and Carl Malone really think that they can beat Michael Jordan, Larry Bird, and you know <laughs> Christian Leitner or whoever else. Is <laughs> I mean, just imagine being in the stands and watching those two teams of like shirts and skins, call your own fouls. Like that's better than any playground three on three or five on five that you could ever see in your life. Like Incredible. unbelievable. Incredible. Uh, the other big thing to come out this out of this Olympic portion, though, right? Other than just how big Mike is, and you know the Isaiah drama was. What I've been waiting for, I've been saying this whole time. <laughs> I'm like, where's Tony Kukoc? Like Tony Kukoc oh. hasn't been mentioned at all. Oh man! And then we got Tony Kukoc, and all I can say is Webby. This Olympic part made me feel bad for Tony Kukoc. Was, was well, did, the first did you have the same reaction? The first, the first game. I, you know what, but like, it, it's part of the story, and it's great storytelling what they did, especially with how Kraus courted him, and, and the Bulls were so, you know, invested in that this guy was going to be the future, and you know what, like, to their credit, I mean, that's pre-Dirk, <laughs> you know, and, and bringing the sharpshooting, uh, you know, European with size over is something that, you know, wasn't done a ton, Back in the day, and so you got to give the Bulls organization that we uh, all need to come and uh, love and respect a little bit of credit here, yeah. because doing their due diligence and finding a guy like Ku Coach definitely proves to be positive for the Bulls down the road. But man, like he gets eviscerated, and I don't know if it's just going, you know, putting the Yugoslavian team against Team USA. Or any of this extra stuff that Mike and Scotty might have had against Kukoc. But either way, he was not ready for prime time in that first game. Well, I, the reason I felt bad for him was because, you know, he's thinking already you're going up against Team USA and that's a massive deal. But all the side stuff that Kraus put on him. Like, that has nothing to do with him, right? Like, it's one thing to pick Tony Kukoc and be like, yeah, I think he's really good. Obviously, I drafted him because you think he's good. But it's another to then be like, he's the future of the Bulls. Like, there's no need for you to say that in 1992, right? Like, there's no need. Like, MJ is, this is peak power MJ. MJ is still the future of the Bulls. Like, what are you talking about? But for me, isn't it more like, I I think that Kukoc was like, not really, you know, tuned in to what was happening with like how MJ and Scotty thought of him and For sure. and how you know like I he's just like kind of like a child wandering into a movie theater with oh, no yeah. frame of reference and then just there's the big bad wolves just ready to tear him down. I don't think he was ready for what he got in that game. But like the context of. When you, when you get the – yeah, exactly, because the context of, okay, Scotty already feeling underpaid, you know, yeah. Mike already feeling underpaid, and here's this guy talking about the future when it's like, wait a second, wait a second. We're here winning – we just won back-to-back championships. What are you talking about the future? Like, we're still here trying to win three, four, five, six. Like, what are you talking about? And, you know, 
Carl Malone just dry snitching on the whatever that interview was before the game. It's like, hey, are you guys ready for the game tomorrow? And he's like, uh, I don't know, but I, I know that Michael and Scotty are ready. <laughs> it's just like, yo, Carl Malone, chill, man. Somebody right? should have given somebody should should have given poor Tony like a heads up. Like, right? uh, man, you got to be ready here because just even that viz of that game, you could see it in his eyes. Like he was kind of confused about what was happening. Well, yeah, he described the fact that MJ or Scotty were on his side, like on his hip the <laughs> yeah. entire game. Like that part is absolutely insane. And I know that, you know, if you never really played basketball or whatever, like it might be kind of weird to explain what he legitimately means but normally the defense like eases up and will let you dribble the ball over half court or you know at least get set at the top of the key or something before <laughs> playing hard defense no they were full court pressing and trapping tony coach whatever he got the ball and the fact that i forget who said it but they said in the locker room mj's like yo don't worry about Ku coach me and scotty got him <laughs> like that's yeah amazing. leave him to me now the question is. Now the other question that I had was: Was it in one of these two episodes that David Aldridge tells the? Uh, is it David Aldridge? Yeah, the reporter, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. Tells the story about the guy um, that said "good game" to Michael after he dropped like twenty-five or thirty on him and the Bulls, or was that a? Is that know. coming up? I don't think. No, so. no, no. I don't that, think then that's got. That's got to be coming up. So I won't spoil so, that. It, it's going to be good. But, like, it's like Michael needs these uh, slights, whether it's Clyde or Tony. It's like he needs them, whether they're real or imagined, you know? Yeah. Listen, sure, Krause is going to say that Coach is going to be the future of the Bulls because he's in love with this kid. He wants him to come over and play really well. And he wants to impress on him that, you know, he's got this team when he's ready to come over to the States. I'm sure... That Michael, if you sat him down and said, are you really worried about Tony Kukoc taking your place on the Bulls? He would have said no. But no. having having that slight in front of him just, you know, takes Jordan from a 10 to an 11, yeah. you know? And he needs it to get that killer instinct. Always needs something to fuel the fire, indeed. And it's yeah. so crazy to think about. But it's jokes because, you know, even MJ now, again, he's trying to be like, oh, well... I liked to, I liked Tony as a teammate, but I just didn't appreciate how he was introduced to me. <laughs> You're right. right. It's just like the slightest, like... What does that even mean? <laughs> right. It's like Jerry Krause told me this guy's really good, so that means I got to kill him. And it's like, okay. And then Scotty says the same thing, essentially. He had nothing against Tony, but we were going to do everything possible to make Jerry look bad. It's like, What? <laughs> It's so good. It's so good. But, you know, we kind of see a little bit of this later on as well when uh, they go back to the Barkley series and the Suns with Thunder mm -hmm. Dan and how MJ basically, just because Jerry Krause almost drafted right. Dan Marley because he thought he was a good player and he's good defensively, and MJ knew that Krause liked him. It's like, knew that he liked him. Like, what does that mean? I'm sure that, you know, a GM's allowed to say that another player is pretty good or think that he's great. That doesn't mean that he's better than Mike. Doesn't even mean that he's close to Mike. But Mike's like, oh, no, I knew I had to kill Thunder Dan just because. <laughs> and it's like, that is weird. It's so weird. 
that Dan Marley had to feel the wrath because Jerry Krause thought he was a good player. Right. You just got to have that. You got to have that thing. You got to have that thing that just says, okay, like this is what's going to get me off the couch. This is what's going to make me just go bananas on somebody. And if it's my owner or my GM wanted to draft the guy who's guarding me, so be it. Whatever it is to wake the dragon. Yeah. Uh, shouts for Mike and Scotty. I'll say this because hey, maybe they did make Kukoc respond better as he came back and played better in the gold medal game, right? Which, you know, got to give him a little bit of credit for that. 100%. And also shouts to Mike for creatively hiding the Reebok logo with the flag and setting the stage for future, you know, (laughs) Olympic team issues, let's say, and hiding that Reebok logo with the flag. Like, okay, how are you guys going to complain about this now? Like, it's such a genius move, whoever came up with that. But that footage of him getting mad in the car, right, where he's, yeah. he's pissed yeah. off because, you know, he's already said he's not going to rock the the Reebok thing. And I just thought that was another example of Mike just being mad because someone else was telling him to do something or this is how something should be. And, like, his viewpoint was, wait, 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 you don't get to tell me anything. Who are you, right? And I, I respect that. I respect that. Um, the Dream Team's, like, lasting impact, I think we know already. We think that's massive. We understand that. My question for you, though, beyond that, because after the Dream Team, we're, we're here now. Mike is everywhere. Like, if the back-to-back wasn't enough now, the world stage and holding our attentions through a whole summer and winning the gold medal in the fashion that they did led us to this point where I'm asking this question. Is the Be Like Mike Gatorade campaign the best marketing campaign ever? Oh, best marketing campaign. Huh? Be Like Mike. Uh, I definitely. It was when I was eight years old, I'll tell you. (laughs) Yes. Sometimes I dream, right? It's so catchy. Who wrote that song? I should look that up. But like, that's just, it's a great jingle. It was perfect. Like concept, be like Mike. But getting back to just interesting points of the doc that I was worried about when this whole thing started, would they actually dive into some of the serious issues? And one of those things was the Republicans buy sneakers to comment. Yeah. Right. And Again, they do such a good job of intertwining all these stories. But to get to this point, I didn't really think they would be here in asking him the questions. And I thought even if they did, he'd probably duck it. But I thought it was legit how they handled this, no? Republicans buy sneakers too, and you got Barack, right? You got Barack and Mike giving you insight into the situation at the time. Like, I thought this part was incredible. I was riveted by this whole part. But what did you make of it? Were you buying Mike's explanation? Were you okay with his explanation of the whole thing? I mean, I I really was. I really was. And it's funny. Around the same time in the early 90s, the whole, I mean, it was Barkley, but it was the whole role model thing. Mm -hmm. Our athletes role models. Should we be taking our social cues from athletes? That was a big thing in the early to mid 90s, right? It's not like it is now where you're almost expected to be a bit of an activist if you are a professional athlete. Back then, it was like not even heard of. Like you didn't know who these guys voted for, let alone cared. But Mike was so big and so important that, like you say, a uh, like e- 
a lot of people thought, I should say, that him giving a an endorsement to a candidate could swing a race. Now, do I think that it would have happened in early 90s North Carolina against Jesse Helms, who was an absolute monster, but who had been elected plenty of times in a old-school southern state? Mm-hmm. I'm not sure. So I didn't – and this is going to sound kind of shitty, but – I kind of bought Mike's way of thinking yeah. as I as I grew older. I said, you know, that's his prerogative, whatever. And he made a good point when he was talking about it. He didn't record a PSA, but what he did was make a big donation. Yeah. And a lot of times that can be a lot of times that can be way better than say recording a PSA. Right. The other part of it is right. Like we're looking at it through the lens of our current times. And again, Mm -hmm. this is why I keep saying the comparison between Mike and LeBron is so unfair. Like we live in a completely different world, right? Just, you know, from the viewpoint of nowadays, these athletes themselves are the brand. Like we know every single thing LeBron does every day. We know when he's working out. We know that he eats tacos on Tuesday. We know all Mm -hmm. these things that we take for granted. But then for Mike, it wasn't really like that. And for him, he's in this era where, okay, well, I'm an athlete. I sell shoes. I do this. And even just the fact that he said he said it in jest on the bus to like a bunch of other players and then the quote you know kind of ran away and and snowballed into this huge thing that lasted for 20 plus years and you know my whole thing and you know it's so funny i had this conversation we had this conversation maybe a couple months ago and i'd love to rehash it with a, a couple of my boys but one of my buddies was super upset because they were just saying no you're giving mj a pass Right. Like you have a responsibility as being a a black man and a high profile black man to stand up for certain things, because that's just Mm -hmm. what comes along with the platform you're given. And my argument at the time, and I still sort of believe this, and I think Mike articulated it well, you know, he never thought of himself as an activist. He thought of himself as a basketball player. And my whole thought process was, listen, if someone doesn't deem themselves smart enough or doesn't know enough about what they're talking about, is that really the person that you want to be at the right. forefront of some of these political issues? Like, I kind of right. think watching Trump do what Trump does now should be an example of that. And I know Trump is president and Mike wasn't going to be president. I'm just saying that if someone doesn't feel comfortable enough because they don't feel, you know, smart enough or they know enough about certain issues, why would we be wanting to force them into that position? I don't think that's fair. Like we could judge him and be like, okay, well you're not doing this, but if he's really not the articulate person to be able to speak on these political things, why would we want him to do that? And sorry, I know I'm going on for a bit here because I want to make the LeBron point at the same time. I know I'm not downplaying anything that LeBron James has done because I think LeBron does so much and it's so incredible. But we also have to understand, coming out after Trayvon Martin gets gets shot, like that's not a hard stance to take. Right. Do you know Do you know what I'm saying? And I know yep. I'm tiptoeing around it because I don't want to sound like an idiot here either. But, you know, the Kaepernick thing even and standing behind Kaepernick, that's not necessarily, you know, who's st- Kaepernick who's standing behind police brutality against black people. That's also not that hard of a stance to take. 
Do you know what I'm saying here? And I, I, I don't even want to dig too deep into it because I don't even feel comfortable enough to be fully articulating myself in this in this point. But all I'm saying is people should be able to make those decisions for themselves if they feel comfortable or not to speak up on political issues. Well, and you just said it perfectly. I mean, LeBron speaks out about these uh, issues and these political uh, things going on in the country. You know why? Because he wants to. Yes. And that's his prerogative. Yep. But uh, for as much activism as um, you see from LeBron, uh, from the rest of 95%, mm-hmm. 90% of the league, there isn't. For sure. And that's okay, and that's okay because these guys don't have to be forced into saying one thing or another. Just as we, I'm sure you have friends and I have friends who aren't over, overtly political one way or another mm-hmm. and that's fine yeah that's their prerogative it's it's part of your first amendment right is to not say anything and lebron too like and for the record i was totally okay i know people crush lebron for you know speaking up on certain things calling trump what did he call him a jerk uh, no a bum a, a bum. bum that's what it was <laughs> and you know people were you know, mad that he could do that. But then when the China stuff came up this past off season, he didn't really, he backpedaled off that and kind of got caught with his foot in his mouth. Right. And I was on the side of no, 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 I'm okay with that. You're allowed to have issues that you know a lot about and issues that you don't know a lot about. That's okay. That's real. Right. Like these are layered conversations. And so do we expect LeBron to know more about, you know, brutality against black people? than he does about this current political climate in China, (laughs) right? Like, yes, of course I expect him to know more than that. So I was okay with that because I felt like that made it seem more real as opposed to every single thing that comes up, here's LeBron to be like, hey, well, this is what I think. And it's like, come on, bro, (laughs) right? Like, pick your spots, know your strengths and weaknesses. I hope I'm, I'm explaining this well enough, but I just think that, you know, We've gotten to this point where everything has to, everyone has to be 100% this and 100% that. And it's like, that's not the way of the world. There's shades of gray. There's certain things that you're allowed to say that you don't know about something. That's all exactly. right. And it doesn't mean that you're for the other side if you can't necessarily speak on something. For sure. And MJ, and to, to be honest, I like that he acknowledges it. He says, was that selfish, his viewpoint? Probably, but that was my energy. I'm not mad. I'm not mad at that explanation at at all. And again, maybe, you know, there's going to be people that think I'm giving them a pass and and that's totally fine. I just think that we can't have the same expectations for everybody. And you'd much rather have someone not say something when they don't know what to say, right? Than to have it go the other way where MJ's trying to, you know, talk about unemployment rates or something right Right, (laughs) it's just like wait what are we doing here so anyways um that was pretty cool i thought that was just dope that they touched on the hard topics and they went right into another hard topic which was mj's gambling Mm -hmm. whoa another thing that i thought i was wondering how they would handle it would they gloss over it would they make mike talk about it would they have other people being real about it And I got to give them a huge round of applause for how they did this because I thought they painted the whole picture starting from MJ just 
gambling with his security guards, right? <laughs> Playing oh, no, that quarters. That was the best. That was the best. That one guy looked like Joe Exotic, man. <laughs> like, what was Joe Exotic doing before opening up the Tiger Zoo? Who knew that he was uh, MJ's security guard? No, in reality, that guy has an amazing backstory. He was okay. like a, a vice cop or a drug cop in Chicago. Okay. And that's why he's strapped all the time. Oh, and okay. and apparently, like, he and Jordan got along. Well, of course, Jordan and all those security guys just, like, got along so well. Yeah. And Jordan was paying him until the day that he died, which was only, like, six months ago. Really? Oh, yeah, wow. I didn't yeah. know that. That's incredible. I'm sorry if I'm missing, like, some – there's some holes in that story. But I was just – it's uh, it's an athletic article. Okay. Uh, and I don't have a subscription. <laughs> no, I got you. No, that's dope. That's dope. No, no, no. I just thought it was, it was cool because it just showed just the competitive nature of him and, you know, how he explains mm-hmm. it at the end. I guess it was at the Connie Chung interview where he's like, I don't have a gambling problem. I have a competition problem. Right. So this was my only thing with this was that the way that Mike talks about the gambling, especially at the time, Mm -hmm. is very much what somebody who's addicted to drugs or alcohol would say. I don't have a such and such problem. I have another problem or it's not a problem because I'm not broke and I have a family and everything's going well in my life. You know, like those kinds of excuses have yeah. been made before. That was the only thing. But that was definitely more Mike at the time so, uh, than it is now. So I think Barkley had the famous quote of, you know, do you have a gambling problem? And he said, no, a gambling problem is when you can't afford to pay your debts. Right. right? Which I know it sounds flippant. And they had David Stern, you know, talking about why he he didn't suspend Mike, you know, at the time. And because he said, you know. He he kind of made the point that Mike was making so much money, which I think is this is this is a legitimate point. It sounds a lot that my guy's losing ten grand or losing whatever. It sounds a lot to us. Right. It's the amount of money that Mike is pulling in, you know, it is like us playing three dollars on the lottery. Do you know what I like it sounds ridiculous, but But what got but what got Mike into trouble wasn't winning or losing. The problem that you get into when you get into this world mm-hmm. are the people that you meet. True. And <laughs> that's real. That's real. Like when you're checked. So I'm when, laughing when the, because I just scrolled down and it said, <laughs> and I wrote this and I, I don't know why I'm laughing at something <laughs> that I wrote, but it just said, should you ever trust a dude named Slim? <laughs> and, and no. And like, listen, the only way you're going to meet a guy named Slim who's going to get you into trouble with the law yeah. is by gambling or doing drugs or mm-hmm. getting involved in something that you need to do. Like, listen, you could be living your life like a saint. Um, that's fine. Like, that's all good. But it's not you who you have to watch out for, especially when you're in somebody like MJ's world. It's the people you hang around with and yeah. what they're going to do. Right. And that's how you're the checks that you've signed end up on a dead person's body or whatever else that he was getting himself mixed into with these people. And the other thing that you wrote here that I think is really funny is, was Mike good at golf? And the, <laughs> the answer, answer to that, I think the answer to that is a resounding no. <laughs> no. I mean, there's so much, there's so much here with the gambling and I love how they did the storytelling to which, 
they were like, wait, why was him? Why was Mike going to Atlantic City between games one and two such a oh, big I deal? Mean... And Aldridge is just like, okay, so here's the backstory, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. And then and then they run it down for you, and you know exactly what you just talked about. You know the check from this dude Slim, who. I know just calling my guy slim and not mentioning my guy swag <laughs> and the Jerry curl drip. Like, <laughs> there's a lot going on there, but you look, you look like the black tin cup. <laughs> there's just, there's so much going on. And, and the reality is MJ does have a competition problem, right? But now you're talking about, okay, well, who are the people around him that are willing to play at the stakes that he is? And yeah. I, I say that because, you know, of course, there's a lot of rich people, but there's also a lot of rich people who are rich from not so legit ways, let's say, right? Yeah. But maybe the better microcosm was the Will Purdue story where he's talking about how in the back, yeah. the, the back of the bus, these dudes are playing for like, what do you say, like $1,000 hands or $10,000 hands or some shit? Yeah. And then at some point, Mike comes up to the front where... It's him, Paxton, and someone else, and they're playing dollar hands, right? And MJ wants in on their game, too, and they're like, <laughs> why do you want to play with us? You guys are back there winning, like, tens of thousands of dollars, and MJ just simply says, because I want to take your money, too. And that, to me, kind of sums up this whole thing, right? That he was just wherever the action was, which, you're right, is a very dangerous game, right? Yeah. And... and to me, I was just happy to see that they didn't shy away from this topic at all. And they really did give you the story. And I'm sure there's more that they left out, but I thought it was super interesting in how they dealt with all this stuff, right? That and it, as well as the Jordan rules. Yeah, that was really interesting eh? because the Jordan rules thing also brought up something that didn't really get mentioned a lot, but definitely brought out how... Jordan sees Horace Grant and it's, and it's not in a very positive way. And that's not something that I knew back in the day, but it's definitely something that's kind of come up since this documentary has been out there. Like Horace was like one of my faves, like rocking the Rex specs back in the day and MJ accusing him of him being the guy to go to, uh, to go to, um, what's his name, Sam Smith, Smith, whoever wrote the book. Yeah, Sam Smith, who wrote the book, when you and I know exactly who it was, and it probably wasn't any of the players. So here's the thing that I don't get. Does How does Mike, does Mike know that it's Phil, but he doesn't want to crush Phil in the dock? Like, that's got to be what's going on, right? Yeah, because Phil probably never, well, Phil obviously didn't cross uh, MJ or annoy him or whatever Horace did to draw Michael's ire, right? Yeah, yeah. That was the thing I found interesting. And, you know, it kind of seems at the longer this doc goes along, there were things where MJ's like, okay, so I'm going to give, I'm not going to crush Doug Collins. I'm not going to crush Phil. I'm not going to crush Scotty. Well, he didn't really crush Scotty. Not really, right? He just said he didn't think Scotty should have sat out. But you know what I mean? There's definitely people who could have gotten a different. Yeah, there's definitely people who could have gotten a way different edit, and they didn't, right? Like, they could have gotten the Krause treatment. Not Maybe not so much, but, like, Doug Collins clearly got a good edit in this, right? And we kind of just let it slide. 
fill with this, as you mentioned, the Jordan Rule stuff where, you know, Horace says it wasn't him, but people assume it was him because he had such a good relationship with Sam Smith. But BJ Armstrong, who to me has been such a great voice of reason in this whole doc, but BJ yeah, Armstrong awesome, was just man. like, right? Like he was just like, I mean, it couldn't have just been Horace, right? Like, let's be real for a second. He's like, I don't know if it was Horace, but bottom line is all of the stories that they had, it couldn't have just been Horace. That's not possible. And I thought that was true. I'm sure some of it was Horace. Some of it was Phil. Some of it was, you know, there's so much going along. The part that surprised me the most was that Sam Smith was getting death threats from Bulls fans. Yeah. yeah <laughs> like, man. that is like, holy shit. That seems so crazy at this time. It seems like, uh, you know, the tweets that LeBron truthers send out pale in comparison to the death threats that Sam Smith was getting. Yeah. And I think, too, that, you know, they did. They had an old school interview from Sam Smith where he says that, you know, Phil will probably use this as motivation. And I was just like, hmm, oh. is that the tell? Is that the tell that some of this might have come from Phil? Right? Like, just that he very confidently in an interview way back in the day that they showed in the doc, he's like, that's what he says. You know, and I thought, hmm, that was pretty interesting. And it seemed to work. It seemed to make sense. You know, Phil did use it as motivation. You know, hey, there's a lot of people coming at us. We got to stick together as a team, blah, blah, blah. And yeah, this might have been like, I was going to say, it's almost like if Phil has a, you know, through his career, a track record of doing things like this. And then you think, oh, yeah. Phil wrote that book about Kobe and then Kobe came back and they won another, did they win one other championship or two? It's actually right behind me. The last season, a team in search of its team, the last season, a team in search of its soul. A great Phil didn't need, Phil didn't need Sam Smith for that one. (laughs) No, but you know, whether or not it's a Jedi mind trick again by the Zen master, Phil Jackson, I mean, it seemed to work, and the Bulls needed something because this might have been one of their toughest roads of the entire run, going through that Knicks team and then going through Barkley and the Suns. And, hey, with the whole world coming down on Mike and shouts to that interview he gave with Ahmad, like, Ahmad Rashad needs to get his roses while he's still here, by the way. But the fact that Mike, like, what's what's what is what is. What does Jay Z say about Memphis Bleak? Uh, Memphis could be a hit away his whole career. I think <laughs> yes. this. I think the same thing about Ahmad Rashad and Michael Jordan. <laughs> Amazing, well played, well played. Um, but yeah, imagine that Mike shuts down talking to the media because everything becomes about him gambling, and he's tired of answering the questions. And then before game one of the finals, he's like, "Yo, Ahmad, can you get a camera?" Like, imagine Dude. Ahmad buzzing into the truck before the game and being like. Guys, I need a uh, camera. <laughs> and then dude. Mike sits down with those glasses to do the interview. And Ahmad's like, I don't know if that was maybe such a good look. <laughs> I I remember that interview. Like, uh, I remember that happening. So good. Uh, the the Right before the finals game. I mean, just in, absolutely incredible. Yeah. And what a finals. I mean, I think that one, did that one only, yeah, of course, yeah, that one only went six as well. But it's so funny how we, how history and how we think of Clyde Drexler and Charles Barkley completely, um, differently, uh, 
how we think of them differently affects how we think of the 92 finals and the 93 finals, right? Yeah. I mean, we think of that 92 finals as like, oh, yeah, no, the Bulls just killed them. But it was a six-game series. Mm -hmm. And we think of this Sun series as one that went right down to the wire. It could have been either team who won it. And it was also a six-game series. And in reality, like, I mean, the, the Bulls, like, I mean, other than what? I think the triple overtime game? Yeah. I mean, that was a pretty one-sided series. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy when you think about the fact that... It's crazy when you think about the fact that MJ averaged, what, 41 points in that finals? Like, that's an insane number to average that's, in the uh, NBA To finals. average. To average 41 <laughs> a game. That is just stupid, right? And this is obviously coming off that crazy Bulls-Knicks series, which is probably the best Knicks team that or the best chance the Knicks had to beat the Bulls. You know, the Charles Smith game, obviously. Sorry, Knicks fans. Yeah. <laughs> but then think about Barkley and the way that Barkley says, you know, he has no shame of losing to Mike. It, it's it's really true, you know, and, and after losing the triple OT game and again, Magic comes out with the story coming off the off day. He said Jordan was like so ready to go because of the defense that they threw at him that he said the defense yeah. threw him off in game three but he was ready for it the next game and my guy comes back with 55 in the finals yeah. like that is insane and so again the the way that draymond you know for example tries to disrespect barkley and talk about that when barkley's out here going for 40 pieces himself in the finals and it's just not enough because mike is averaging 40 in the finals it's just such a reminder of the eras, right? And, like, we shouldn't really compare eras because the reality is people don't know enough about the eras to speak on that. Like, there's no way that Draymond or anyone around Draymond should let him try to put himself in Barkley's class, right? <laughs> right, right. Or even just how we look at Barkley and say, you know, put him down the totem pole just because he didn't win a championship. And it's like... Okay, well, he very easily could have won this championship if Mike averages, I don't know, 35, <laughs> right, and not 41. Like, it's so crazy, the margins that we play with. But, yeah, this doc, this episode was incredible. As mentioned, just all the different things that they hit on, you know, the, the tough stories that they wanted to tell and, you know, MJ again, and and you you teed us up perfectly just in terms of the behind the scenes footage that we were able to get, you know, from the mic talking to, about the Kobe stuff to the part where the Bulls was it in that last season when they clinched the sixty wins and they're and just they're drinking just like, beer in the locker room. Yeah, I've just been dreaming about a cold beer since the halftime or whatever. Yeah, and and Mike's yeah. going on about oh man when I first got in the league. Dudes were dudes are drinking beers at halftime and trying to bump yeah. cigarettes off the coach. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just like, you know, to me, just I urge people to enjoy this and and not buy into the the easy narrative of trying to be like, oh, so do we think LeBron's better than Mike now? Oh, like it's just my so God. dumb. Just enjoy no. the storyline for what it is, because there's so much here to enjoy and and consume. And I'm saying that as someone who thought he knew a lot about Mike. No, you're absolutely right. 
just sit back, enjoy the ride. Again, the next two get a little more serious. Obviously, if you know about Mike's life, you kind of know what's coming. Yeah. Um, it gets does get a little emotional, but again, like it's all about these uh, behind the scenes, uh, intimate moments that. Um, that we've never seen before with Mike. But I think you're absolutely right. We need to chill out about this whole comparing MJ and LeBron. I, I, I saw somewhere it was uh, saying that, uh, oh, no, LeBron doesn't have the clutch gene. That's why he'll never be as good as uh, as Jordan. And it's just like, guys, we got to stop. Yeah. we got to stop all this, exactly. you know? Like, Le- Michael Jordan's great. Uh, LeBron James is great. Uh Will Chamberlain was great. Bill yeah. Russell was great. Larry yeah. Larry Bird was great. Magic Johnson was great. It's like, also, it like, doesn't need to be a huge fight every time. Exactly. And, it, and to me, it's just dumb because the eras are so different, right? Like, yeah, yeah. Would LeBron be training with all these different bands and all these different, you know, uh, Versa climbers and all that that he has in his house if he was playing in the 80s? Probably not, right? Like, yeah. the the everything is just so different, so we don't know how things are going to be. And again, it's such a dumb argument because the game is completely different, right? And it's just like, enjoy the ride. Enjoy the ride. And that, that's been the most fun of reliving this and getting to, to learn. I didn't think I would learn this much from watching this doc, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I thought I'd seen every MJ doc before. I thought he tried to duck the serious things, but... He's out here answering the gambling questions. We're finding out stuff about that. We're, we're finding out, you know, him talking about he didn't think it was a big deal, him and his dad going to a casino in between games. And it's like, okay, cool, but that would still be a mega story in this generation, <laughs> yeah. right? But, like, to Mike, it's like, wait, how did people even know I was there? Whereas... Everyone who, follow me for a second here, everyone who's making the argument about, oh, well, look at LeBron and how well he's handled the media now. It's like, no, no, no. LeBron came up in an era where he knows he can't mess up, right? He knows he can't be seen at certain places because there's camera phones. Mike is in a completely different era where, like, that's not even a thing that you would think about, right? Like, it's just dumb to make the comparisons. And I just wish that, you know, and maybe LeBron, which I think he's going to do, because you, you see that thing they're doing on The Uninterrupted where uh, they have like a post show with uh, Mav Carter and they have a guest on every week. I know they've had Chris Paul, Sue Bird, I think, was on the last one. But they have a guest mm-hmm. on afterwards and they do kind of like a recap. Oh, Draymond was on the first one. They have a recap of The the Last Dance. And I wonder if LeBron's going to be on the last one, which would make the most sense but i just hope that you know the play for him to come out would just be like this comparison's dumb like i know that you know i thought what kobe said was perfect yeah right i don't know maybe that's the best way to end it kobe just summed it up perfectly he really did right everything that you see from me i got from him yeah so you know i don't know it's it's tough but i also know the competitive nature of lebron he wants to be the best and whatever, but he's still in it. And yeah, his story's at, not over. His documentary, his documentary's not over. It's still going. And I kind of wonder what his thought was seeing Kobe, right? And Kobe, and then even I know this sounds weird and how it ended for Kobe, but seeing the piece that Kobe was at, and if that changes kind of LeBron's viewpoint in the moment of you know, am I chasing Mike? Am I chasing whatever? Which he says right. he's not. 
But clearly, even just the way that this whole thing is is going on, where LeBron's not even really tweeting about the doc, where normally we feel like he would be, like there's yeah, just something weird zero going dark on. 30. No? Yeah, he's been zero dark thirty. That's really interesting. You bring that up. It's super odd. But anyways, I've enjoyed the shit out of this, and I've enjoyed talking to you every week. I think we went almost an hour and a half this week. Wow, I guess you were right. You did. Two episodes. Yo, you called this last week. Last week, you did say that this week's ep would be longer just because there's going to be so much to talk about. So you did did tee us up for that, Webby, and you were correct again, my dude. You're correct. (laughs) You're correct. Well, listen, next week's going to be pretty big as well. I'll tell you that. I look forward to that, my dude. But in the meantime, where can the people hit you up to to find out the thoughts, the inner workings of one Mr. Andrew Webster? Hey, same place, uh, same uh, same bad place, same bad time on uh, both Twitter and Instagram at a Webster eighty four. Give me a holler. I, I definitely will, my dude. I've enjoyed our back and forths on social media as we go along, just as much as I've been almost as much as I've enjoyed these conversations <laughs> with you on the pod because they've been a lot yes. of fun man it's been therapeutic for me as well just to watch the doc and like be like oh man I can't wait to talk to Webby about this like it's been so yeah, much fun it's like oh it's like yeah oh man I got that's why I watch it I watch them all twice now it's like <laughs> oh yeah I got, gotta bring that up uh, it's been it's been so much fun really appreciate it and we've been getting good feedback behind the scenes as well from people so I really appreciate that um, cause this has been a lot of fun and it's, it's a fun project that's kept up with the theme of a lot of what we do here on on blast. We're just recording conversations that we would normally have anyways. So the fact that we've invited you guys in, continue to do that. Hit us up on socials. We'll read your comments, whatever you guys think of each episode. And Webby told you where you can hit him up. And of course you can find me on Twitter at shell alexander on instagram at sheldon alexander and of course please like and subscribe to the podcast anywhere you get your podcasts on itunes spotify soundcloud youtube like and subscribe tell your friends all that fun stuff because this is the on blast podcast as i always close out each and every episode i did used to pray for times like this to rhyme like this this is the on blast podcast as always unpolished and unapologetic until next time See ya. Peace. Boom blast.